Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll grab your Bibles with me, if you're watching online, thank you for choosing to be with us today. I look forward to opening the Word of God and sharing the truth of God to you. That I, and I pray that where you are, you are feeling and have felt the same presence of God that we have. Pray that your life would be touched and blessed today. If you want to give, you can do that online as well. Uh, I challenge you to be a tither. I know that you may not can make it to church every Sunday, but be a tither uh, that, that God would bless your life. Grab your Bibles, get ready to receive from God today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. If you're looking where, to where Ephesians is, it's in the New Testament. You go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you go to the book of Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. And then you've got Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Somebody told me one time, the way to remember that is go eat popcorn. <laughs> I've never forgot it. Galatians, go. Ephesians, eat. Popcorn, Philippians. So now you won't forget that. Uh, so we're in Ephesians. We're on the eat today. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. If you're there, say Amen. amen. Also, if you would find Acts chapter 4, mark it. We're going to go there later in the sermon. Pretty much just two scriptures today, and, uh, and we'll be done. Acts chapter 5, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, speak to us today. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you, to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, let us know the truth, and this truth, let it set us free. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. My plan today is to conclude our series that we have entitled, The Forgotten God. We've been talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you missed any of the sermons, I encourage you to get them. Uh, this is part six. I've preached four Sundays, and then we had a really good time on Wednesday. That was a really fun uh, sermon for me. Uh, messed with a few minds in the room, but it was really good. I, I encourage you to get that one as well. Uh, so that was part five. This is part six. Uh, I've given you lots of scripture. We've talked about a lot of things, in both the Old and the New Testament, but we don't have enough time to cover every one in its depth. So I hope that you'll go back and study them, uh, listen to them, read the scriptures, and allow God to speak to you uh, in your own prayer time as you study the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and that he would no longer be forgotten. You see, I'm convinced that we need the Holy Spirit, and I can't imagine living life without him. As incredible as Jesus was, anything that he said it's to your advantage that I go away so you can have this. I want whatever that is. Jesus was God in the flesh. Everywhere he went, miracles were happening. So if he said, it is to your advantage that I go away so you can have something, I want whatever it is because it's got to be better for me in some way than Jesus being here. On top of that, the Bible teaches that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is the place of authority. What is he doing there? The book of Hebrews chapter 7, I believe it's verse 25, tells us that he is ever making intercession for you. So I want you to think about this. Jesus went to heaven and his job wasn't over. 
But he is sitting there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you in your life. And here's the beautiful thing about this this concept of Jesus interceding for you. I said to you, the right hand is the place of authority. So Jesus isn't praying wasted prayers, but he's praying with the authority that God gave him to make things happen in your life. So when Jesus is praying for you, good things happen. Aren't you glad that Jesus is interceding for you? At the beginning of the series, I told you and I remained ever more convinced today that if you were to just, just simply read the Bible, specifically the New Testament... Without any religious preconceptions, you too would be totally convinced that the Holy Spirit is vital to the life of both the believer and the church and the effectiveness of both the believer and the church. You know, one of the things we talked about in this series is that the Holy Spirit is a gift, the doria of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is a free gift that you can't earn. You know, you can't earn salvation. You can't earn grace, and you can't earn the Holy Spirit. He is a gift, and he'll give to you freely. The problem with a gift, though, is that you can choose to accept it or exchange it or give it back. Say, no thanks, I don't want that. Have you ever given a gift to someone that you, were, you had worked really hard on, but you were unsure if they were going to like it? So you got it all wrapped up, and you handed it to them. Maybe it was their birthday. And right as they go to open it, you say these words or something like it. No, no, no. If you don't like it, you can take it back. Right? So we get a little word, like maybe they won't like this gift. If they don't like it, they don't have to keep it. Right? Some of them say, oh, yeah, I love it. Keep it, put it in the closet, re-gift it later. Be careful if you do that, that you don't re-gift to the same person who gave it to you in the first place. That can be an awkward moment. My mom has this new deal, because my mom loves to give gifts. It's, it is one of her uh, love languages is to give gifts. So when she gives, uh, oftentimes when she gives me a gift, she, she's always shopping at Ross and Marshalls and things like this, and she's finding the deals, you know. She's a deal finder. It's like, that's how God speaks love to her, is he gives her really good deals. <laughs> And so she'll come home with a shirt and, and she'll pull it out. And as I'm opening it, opening it she will say, now, uh, everybody wants this shirt. And she'll start listing all the people who, she's, who want this shirt. But no, she got it for me because it is that awesome. As if everybody else wanting it is going to convince me that it is a cool shirt. And I'm holding it up going, no, it's still ugly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mom, mom does really well when she buys me clothes. Uh, but that's her deal. Is she tries to convince you to keep it by saying how many other people would love that, that shirt or that gift. And, and that's, that's her way of doing it. But we all have felt that. So when we think about the Holy Spirit in the same way that he is a gift, it puts us in this framework that just like, it, it, you know, if you have a wedding shower and uh, everybody knows you have a wedding shower, you get a bunch of stuff, half of it you take back in exchange. If you don't know that, I hate to, I hate to burst your bubble. It happens all the time. It's okay. That's part of the deal when you receive a gift. But the, the misconception comes, and this is what I want to challenge you here today with, is that the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just a gift that you can accept or deny, keep or turn away. You can, but you will be going against what the Word of God says. Because what I read to you in Ephesians chapter 5 takes us to another level. 
Paul said, be filled. It's more than just, hey, here's a gift. If you'd like it, take it. No, no, no. He said, hey, you, Ephesians, be filled. Let's talk about that today. I want to talk to you on the subject, being filled. Be filled. Three main points we're going to make today. The first one is is simply this. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of control. What do I mean? In this verse, Paul is making a startling comparison in which he is comparing being drunk with wine, drunkenness, with being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a for if you're a teetotaler like I am, and I'll tell you what that means here in a minute, this is like, like, Paul, what are you doing, man? Seriously, why are you comparing these two things? But he makes this comparison, and truthfully, it's the second time it, since the outpouring, the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've seen this comparison. Remember, the, the 120 get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues, and, and all of a sudden, people are marveling, saying, look at what is going on. And Peter says, these are not, What? Drunk as you suppose. They're drunk, just not as you suppose. They're just drunk on the Holy Spirit, right? Because it's the, it's, the, it's the third hour. It's 9 a.m. 9 in the morning. They've been praying for the last hour. We discussed this a little bit on Wednesday night. They, they've, been, they've been praying. They're, they're not drunk with wine. They're drunk on the Holy Spirit. And so Paul makes this comparison for the second time, comparing being filled with the Spirit and being drunk. So if we're going to look at this comparison, we have to ask two questions. How are these two things alike and how are they different? Because this is not, Paul is not writing here to tell us that alcohol or wine is a sin. He's not. He's just really not. When I, I, I told you that I'm a teetotaler and, and some people make fun of me for that. That's okay. If you don't know what a teetotaler is, that means I don't, personally, I don't drink any alcohol totally, nothing. I don't, I get just totally no alcohol with a capital T. That, that's me, personally. Um, and so I, this is the way I grew up, this is the way I was raised. As a matter of fact, when, you know, when I was in youth ministry and going to youth camps and things, uh, you know, it was preached to me that, you know, alcohol was a one-way ticket to hell, man. Like you ain't, you ain't, you can't even get off a train. You, you're in a mess. You know, uh, alcohol was a straight sin, and that, and that's the way I believed growing up. When I was about 16 years old, my world was shattered. Can I be honest with you for a minute? My world was shattered because I find found out that some of my heroes in the faith kept kept wine in their home. Shattered me. They're sinning. They're going to hell. I'm not kidding. This was, this was like earth shattering for me. I was about 16 years old. And so I literally had to go back into the Bible and find out what the Bible said. Because it messed up everything for me. Because if they were doing that and sinning, did it wipe out everything else that they were teaching me and, and, and preaching in their life? Right? So I'm going to tell you what got me. Can I tell you what got me? I thought about Jesus. Nod your head at me if you know that Jesus was totally without sin. If he had sinned one time, one little time, if he had sinned, he could not have died on the cross for your sins. Did you know that? If he had, if he had messed up, one, if he had had one bad day, he couldn't have died for your sins or mine. 
So we know that Jesus was totally without spot or blemish. He was the spotless lamb of God. And, and he never sinned one time. We're all in agreement upon that. So here was my next question. If Jesus never sinned, did he ever drink wine? Yes, he did. In John, we find his very first miracle at the wedding at Cana. He literally turns water into wine. What sense would it make if wine is a sin, drinking it is a sin, for Jesus to say, here, let me make more opportunity for everybody to sin? I mean, that's just the way my brain works. It doesn't make any sense to me. Then I move forward to the end of his life. That's the first miracle. And then on the night that he was betrayed at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus didn't lift grape juice like we do here in this church and bless it. No, he broke the bread and he poured a little wine and he blessed it and he passed it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for the remission of sins. So wait a second here now. I had, this is what I came to. Convicted me. I'll tell you why. Because if Jesus had never sinned and yet he drank, then drinking alcohol must not be a sin. So I was convicted for every person I had put on that train going to hell. Because I said, if you drink, you're sinning. Now, with that said, let me explain a couple other things to you, okay? <laughs> we'll go to the other side of the argument. <laughs> oh, it's a good day. It's a good day. On the other side of the argument is this. Very clearly in the Scripture... Paul says it on multiple occasions, not once, not twice, multiple occasions that drunkenness is a sin. And he gives you these lists. Paul likes to give you these lists, man, just so, they're, so, you're, so you're very clear. Drunkenness and idolatry and, and uh, for, uh, uh, fornication and adultery, all these things, these are sins and you will not find your place in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. You are, you're, you, now you're on the one-way ticket. <laughs> That's what he says. So there has to be some place somewhere between having a glass of wine like Jesus did when he was taking communion and that being okay and being drunk and that is totally a sin. It is. There's, there's, there is no denying. When you read the scripture, you cannot deny either of those two things. When you really read the scripture, you can't deny those things. And so I, I, this, this messed with me, but for me personally, I said to you, I'm still a teetotaler. <laughs> you can laugh at me. It's okay. I've come to grips with this. Uh, if drinking is not a sin according to the word of God, then why don't I do it? And I'll tell you why. Because for me, alcohol is still a conviction for me. I don't convict anyone else. I told you that God messed with me over that and I had to repent over that. But for me, I don't drink. And if I were to, I would be sinning against myself. Therefore, for me, it's a sin. So I don't do it. I don't put that on anybody else. I don't force anybody else to make that decision. That is me. So I'm a teetotaler, loud and proud. You can mock me if you want to. It's okay. It's okay. So I don't drink. The other reason is, for me, if I'm going to do it, I might as well go all the way. And if drunkenness is a sin and I can't get drunk, I don't understand the point of drinking a Bud Light that tastes horrible if I can't at least lose my mind in the process. <laughs> right? 
So it just makes no sense to me. I go to a ball game. Why would I pay $10 for something that tastes terrible when I can have a Dr. Pepper that tastes good for like $3? They're all expensive, but I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, it just becomes a financial issue for me here, man. Like, this is just the way I think in, in my life. So anyway, there's a lot of other things I could talk about why I arrived at this decision. But I want you to understand, and I, I took a few moments to talk about that because Paul is not saying here, never drink wine and it's a sin. It's not what he said. But if you, if drinking is not a sin for you, but in your drinking you cause me to drink, I've sinned and you've sinned because you caused me to stumble. That's another message for another day. So what is Paul talking about here? What is alike and what is different? Is everybody okay this morning? I don't want you to all be mad at me when we leave here today. What is alike? He said, between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit, it is an issue of control. Because when you drink alcohol, you are giving your control over to something. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are giving your control over to someone. So you are taking your control and you are giving it away. I was playing in a golf tournament here a year or so ago. We won the golf tournament, and then uh, we, were, we were seeing if we won our little um, door prizes and things. I won a brand-new putter. It was awesome. won a $300 putter. It's one of the greatest things I've ever won in my life right there. I don't win things usually, but this day, it was awesome. And so one of the guys that was playing with me, a friend of mine, uh, he goes up there, and he had bought like a hundred raffle tickets. I bought one and won a $300 driver. He bought like a hundred and comes back with some hats that he was never going to wear and some golf balls he was never going to hit. And he comes back with this big bottle of tequila like this. Like, I'm not kidding. And he's looking at it. He's like disgusted. And he's like, I was like, dude, what's the problem? He goes, man, I won this tequila and I can't even drink it. I was like, why is that? He goes, cause the last time I drank this tequila, I ended up running down the street naked. I can't drink this stuff anymore. True story. So the question becomes this. <clears throat> Have you ever done something while drinking that you later regretted or felt sorry for? If you did, you went too far because you gave over your control. So where is the shift between when drinking becomes a sin when you give over control? Now it's a sin. When you start doing things that you regret later, wouldn't have done, I would have never done that, but I was wasted, as if that's going to be an excuse for the person you hurt. Oh, it's okay, you were drunk, I'll forgive you. Oh, you, you beat me mercilessly, but it's okay, you were out of your mind. No. We gave over control. When we were first buying this building, it was the palace, and uh, it was really quite humorous to walk around with so many of our pastors and elders as we were looking at this, and they were reminding us of things that they regretted. And they said, on that stairwell, that's where the bouncer threw me down the stairwell as he was kicking me out of the club, and right here is where I puked in that bathroom, and right here is where I passed out on that dance floor, because why? Alcohol. Uh, doing things we would rather not talk about because alcohol impairs your judgment. You're giving away your control. It is an issue of control. So remember, they're the same. What are we talking about is the same. When you are filled with the spirit, you are relinquishing control. It may mean that we do things we weren't intending to. 
It may mean that we say things we were previously scared to. It may mean that we go places we weren't intending to go, and yet we are relinquishing control to the Holy Spirit. The truth is that many of us loved that feeling of being out of control. Others hate it. Others want to be in control at all times. Uh, I I tend to like to be in control. Uh, Some people love it. Why do you think we jump out of airplanes? There's no good reason for it. There's no good reason for it. We jump out with a parachute, pay somebody a lot of money, screaming crazy. Ah, there's no good is going to come of this. Best case scenario, you, you land. Worst case scenario, you splatter. I mean, it's not good. Roller coasters. We like the feeling of being out of control. I hate the feeling about it. I don't ride roller coasters, man. That feeling of being out of control in my stomach, being my throat, it makes no sense to me. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. You can mock me. My family mocks me all the time. Come on, Randon. You're a grown man. You can ride this roller coaster. No, I'm not riding the roller coaster. I am a grown man, and I'm choosing not to get on that crazy thing. I'm not doing it. My wife loves them. We went to uh, SeaWorld early this year, and uh, there were few roller coasters there, and so uh, Lindsay and Ryan decided to go ride a couple of them, and Kara and I took the kids, and we were going to meet them at another water ride over there. So Ryan go, and Kara, Lindsay go to get on one roller coaster. It's one of these really fast ones where your feet dangle, you know, and you're hanging off, and sh- you got to take your shoes off because you'll lose them and all that stuff. You know, ah, It's spinning and up and down and spinning while you go around and all that stuff. It's, you know, super fast. Lindsay gets off a little dazed, man. She's just like, whew, she's just walking. So they're walking across the park to meet us. Okay, <laughs> they're walking across the park to meet us, and uh, she's just following Ryan, and Ryan decides he wants to ride the other roller coaster. There's, there's, there's two right next to each other, but Ryan doesn't tell Lindsay. So they're, he's, she's just following him, and, and she says, where are we going? And he says, we're going to meet them. Well, Ryan is the, the, the human map in our family, so you, you follow his direction. So Lindsay's just walking along and just kind of stumbling because this roller coaster is just taking it all out of her, man. And she's just going. And she's saying, where are they? And Ryan says, they're right up here. And he turns right into the entrance to go to the next roller coaster. She just, well, she's just, you know, just kind of stumbling through. Next thing you know, next thing you know, she's going through the ropes like this. There's nobody there. So she's just going through the ropes. Where are they, Ryan? I don't even know. Ryan says, they're right up here. She's just walking back and forth doing this whole thing. Next thing you know, she buckles them in and she goes, you lied to me. <laughs> Away they go. <laughs> she got off. She said, I think I'm done with roller coasters. I don't, I don't I'm done with those. It's too much. We like that feeling of out of control until it comes to turning over the control to the Holy Spirit. We'll, can turn, we'll turn over our control to all kinds of things in life. But when it comes to turning it over to God, we say, oh, maybe not. So let's ask the question then, how are they different? Because this is a really important question. Paul said, instead, be filled. How are they different? Uh, in the New, New International Version, he says here, do not get drunk with wine on which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. It's this deal where you start going down this road and you want to keep going, right? When, when you drink alcohol and you start getting drunk, it causes you to do other things that you wouldn't have done. And so you don't just drink more because you, now you're drinking and it's fun, so you keep on drinking, but you start doing other things. You start hooking up with other people that you never wanted to hook up with. 
You start going places you never would have gone. You get yourself in trouble doing more things. And so it's this, Paul says, there's this, you start going down this path that you don't want to go down when you give over your control. I like what the New Living Translation says. This, this is my favorite version of, for, for this verse. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I love it. I love it. That will ruin your life. Wow. Paul said that drunkenness will ruin your life. Nod your head at me if you or you know someone who has had their life ruined by alcoholism. Ruins your life. Oh, but that would never happen to me. It doesn't take but just a moment. Well, what's the difference then between that and the Holy Spirit? When you relinquish control of the Holy Spirit, you are relinquishing control to God in the form of your guide, your comforter, your helper, the spirit of truth. You're relinquishing your power to the one who is going to then empower you with supernatural, explosive power to do incredible things in your life. To be everything you dreamed of, to be everything he planned for you, to accomplish all these things in your life that you could never do on your own. So when you give him control, he's going to turn around and bless you and help you do more than you could have done on your own. Matter of fact, let's, let's look at the fruit. You look at the fruit of, of, being, of drunkenness, eventually, Paul says it ruins your life. But, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, go. Remember, go eat popcorn. Flip over a page. But the fruit of the Spirit, okay, so the fruit. This is what relinquishing control to the Spirit will produce in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. How many think these sound good? faithfulness, uh, gentleness. Wait a second. Self-control. What a paradox. I give control over to the Holy Spirit. And in that process, it produces self-control in my life. This is a paradox. It makes no sense until you understand the way the kingdom of God functions. Remember I read to you earlier, whatever you sow, you will also reap. This is the way the kingdom of God works. So when you sow your self-control and give it over to the Holy Spirit, he says, listen, I'm going to give you self-control back. But I'm going to give you all these things along with it, and I'm going to give you more self-control than you ever had before. I'm going to multiply it. So he multiplies it all, and he says, okay, thank you for giving that to me. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to give you control back. Wow. That sounds good to me. I give it to God. He takes it, fixes it, multiplies it, and gives it back to me. So for me, for if you like control in your life like I do, when, you, when, when I understand this, that when I give it to God, he gives it back to me in a better form, it makes it a lot easier for me to actually give it to God. Well, let's go on to point number two. There are many misconceptions to being filled. I'm going to give you three of them today. Last week we talked about three myths of speaking in tongues. Today we're going to talk about three misconceptions of being filled. The first one is this. It is just an emotional experience. 
It is just an emotional experience. Being filled with the Spirit is just an emotional experience. Now, you would be okay with this statement if you would take out that one four-letter word, just. And if you would squeeze that sentence to say, it is an emotional experience, you would be all right. But when we say it's just an emotional experience, we mess up. People say, well, I don't want the Holy Spirit to be emotional. That's fine. But I want you to think about all the great things in your life. Nearly every great thing that has ever been given to you or happened to you came with emotions. Think about this. Think of those of you that are married in the room, those of you that are dreaming about getting married one day. Guys, you go out and you work hard and you get that ring and you pay way too much money for it and you, and you leverage everything you have and you, you know, you're paying 27% interest on that thing and it's, it's like this big. And, and you get there and you've got the right girl and you've planned the whole day and, and you've got her to the right moment, the restaurant or the house or the, whatever it was and everything's right. Her family's hiding in the other room. Her friends are there. Everything's down. It's the right moment. You get down on your knee and as you stumble and you stutter and you tell her why she should marry you in, in three sentences and then you say those, those dangerous words, will you marry me? What if with no emotion, no response, she said, eh. <laughs> she looked around the room and said, anybody else want to marry me today? No? No? All right. I guess I'll marry you. If that happens to you, men, run. <laughs> run. <laughs> Get away. Run. What are you looking for? You get down on that knee. Everything's right. You want her to lose her mind. Screaming. Ah, crying. <laughs> and you know, can I, can, I get a, can I get an answer? I say yes. Okay, I couldn't speak through the tears. I don't understand that language. It just, ah, you want her to go crazy. It's the greatest thing ever. You want her to come to church and worship like this. Thank you, Jesus. She's going to say to me, how y'all doing? How y'all doing, everybody? How y'all? Oh, oh, that's my ring. Yes, I'm engaged. Why? Emotion. Is it a bad thing? No. It would be a bad thing if there were no emotion involved in your proposal. Eh, I guess so. Like, no. Go crazy. Something. Why? But is it all emotion? No. Because in the context of that moment, you're thinking about your future, the plan you have together, how you're going to build your life, how, how you're going to build your home, and, and uh, how things are going to look, and your wedding dress, ladies, and, and who all, and all the, everything is coming together. Who's going to be in your wedding? When are we going to have it? What are we going to do? What colors are we going to wear? Are we going to have red? And are we going to have purple? Are we going to have, oh, oh my gosh, it's just, there's just so much to do. When are we going to, it's got to be in June because I want a summer wedding. No, it's got to be at Christmas because I want to get married. No, it's got to be on Father's Day because I like that kind of thing. So I want to, not, not Father's Day, Valentine's Day because I'm going to get married on Valentine's Day. and you know, da, 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 da. Father's Day. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. That'd be like the worst Father's Day for your dad ever right there. You know? Yeah, it's a great Father's Day. I got my, my kid married. Great. You're thinking about all these things. You're thinking about your life together. You think about what car you're going to drive and where you're going to live and what you're going to do. Why? 
Because there is substance wrapped in emotion. And that's what makes the experience great. Substance wrapped in emotion. Think about this. What if I said to you right now, I'm about to give you a million dollars. Ain't nobody hooped all. I've been preaching for 30 minutes. Ain't nobody done nothing. And all of a sudden I say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Woo! I'm in, Pastor, right now. I'm in. I'm in. Why? You, you wouldn't just stand there and be like, oh, yeah, thanks. No, no, you would be going crazy. You, you're going to give me a million, a million. You know what I can do with a million dollars? You get that really fast talking thing going on and you mess everything up. Why? You'd be going crazy. You'd be hugging me. And I'm like, dude, I don't do hugs. You're like, oh, I'm hugging you anyway. Why? Because there is emotion involved. But at the end of the day, you still have a million dollars. You get to go home and spend substance wrapped in emotion. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit... There is substance. I talked to you about some of it. The, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the uh, extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians, the, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all these things. It's substance there, man, but it's wrapped in emotion. It's wrapped in emotion. So the first misconception is that it's just emotion. No, it's not just emotion, but you need to know. There ought to be emotion involved because you've just received one of the greatest gifts you'll ever receive in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. <clears throat> Number two. Um, second misconception is just simply this. It is only for certain special Christians. It's not for me. It's just for certain special Christians. Uh, many branches of Christianity or pretty much all branches of Christianity can't deny the existence of the filling of the Holy Spirit throughout history, all the way back into the Bible. But what they do is they then declare that it's only for a few certain people. If you're one of these special people, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If not, you don't get the Holy Spirit, and that's just simply not the case. The truth is, and we've talked about this several times throughout this series, I'm not going to take the time to go back there now, but it is for you. It is for all it is a universal offering to everyone who believes. It's for you. It's not just for a few people. It is for everybody. Third thing is this. It's controversial, so it just should be ignored. It's controversial, so I'm just going to ignore it. The devil likes to make things controversial. It's one of the things that he does. It's one of the ways he attacks the world and attacks your life is he makes things controversial. Think about this. When, when God spoke to Abraham and called him uh, to come and worship the one true and living God. We sang the song this morning, there is no God like Jehovah. When, when God called Abraham out, it was controversial. But why was it so controversial? Because the world that he was living in, they worshipped everything. They worshipped the moon and the sun and the kettle pot and everything they could find. They worshiped them all. They, they had a, 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 a God that had his hands held out like this and they would build a fire on him and you would place a baby on top of it and burn the baby as a sacrifice to this God. What sense does that make? And yet you've got a God speaking with power, the creator God that's calling him out and saying you're going to be a father of many nations and that becomes controversial? It's the work of the enemy. Then you fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes 
He's got angels speaking about him and talking about him and prophesying that he's coming. Uh, 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 Elizabeth, John the Baptist, who was in her womb, uh, gets filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. I mean, incredible thing. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching, he's teaching. He is the fulfillment of, of all the things that have been prophesied about the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all of that. People are being healed. Uh, blind eyes are opening. People are getting up that have been lame their entire life. People who are dead are coming back to life, rising up. He says, oh, they're just sleeping. Don't even worry about it. They come back. Lazarus, dead for four days, comes out of the tomb. And yet, he becomes controversial. The enemy messes this whole thing up, seemingly, and makes him controversial and ends up hanging him on a cross. Now, if he did it to God in Genesis, and he did it to Jesus in the Gospels, don't you think that his plan would be to make the Holy Spirit controversial in our world today. So that's what he does. He makes the Holy Spirit controversial. And here's why that's so bad. is because when things are controversial, oftentimes good people say, no thanks. We just turn away. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit because he is controversial. We, we, We say, you know what? You just keep that controversial stuff. Give me my salvation and let me alone. Let me go live my life. Let me go do my thing. And we walk away because it's controversial. Don't walk away from the Holy Spirit because the enemy has made it a controversy. Point number three, and we're going to close today. Paul said, be filled. The problem is you cannot fill yourself. You're not the filler. Raise your hand if you are the Holy Spirit. No takers. I can't see if you're watching online at home right now, but I can assure you no one's raising their hand in this room because we are not God. We are not the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are not the filler. So there's a problem here. Be filled is a command. Be filled is not, hey, you know, if you feel like it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll like it, but if you don't, you can take it back and exchange it for another size. No, no, no. It's a command. Be filled. How do you be filled when you're not the filler? I, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, the question then becomes, because the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. He, he's ready and willing to fill you. The question then becomes, are you fillable? I don't even know if that's a word. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't even know if that's a word. But are you fillable? Because if the Holy Spirit wants to fill me, and I'm not filled... And the question becomes, am I fillable? Because he wants to fill you. If your concern is constant control and you refuse to give over the control of the Holy Spirit, you're not fillable. If you uh, don't believe, then you're not fillable. If you refuse to allow emotions to be evolved, my question to you would be, are you fillable? My question to every person in this room and those watching on- online, Are you fillable? Have you positioned yourself to allow God to fill you, to allow his Holy Spirit to fill you and touch your life? Are you fillable? To be filled is more than just a touch. For instance, if you were to say to your son, go cut the grass. He says, okay, dad. And he walks out there and he cuts one row and he comes back in. He sits down. He's playing on his PS3 again. And you walk out and you you say, did you cut the grass? Absolutely. So you walk out. And there's one row cut. You walk back in. You say, son, 
Did you cut the grass? Yes, sir, Dad, I cut the grass. Uh, you cut one row. Well, you didn't say how much. You just said cut the grass. So I cut grass. What did you mean? You meant cut every blade of grass, weedy, clean out the flower beds, uh, blow off the driveway. You meant cut the grass and keep cutting the grass until it's all done, right? That's what you meant. And that's what Paul means here. Be filled. He's saying, be filled and don't just get a little sip, but keep being filled and keep being filled and keep being filled and keep being filled as long as it takes. You just keep being filled. If you run a little low, you keep being filled again. One, one version says it like this. The complete Jewish Bible says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on. Oh, you, you run a little low today? Be filled again. Keep on being filled. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. I told you to mark that scripture. I'm going to Acts chapter 4 real fast. We're going to walk through the scripture and then we're going to close today. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been out preaching. They've been out seeing people healed. And because of that, they are arrested, brought into captivity. Uh, and in verse 4, the Bible says that there were 5,000 men in the church. Not including women and children, just men. The church has grown uh, very, very quickly. But what we see in, in verse 7 is they ask, by what power or name have you done this? Verse 8, we see something very very important, and I want you to remember this. Then Peter, watch, filled with the Holy Spirit. Was he filled? Yes, the Bible says he was filled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit right here in verse 8. Verse 13, he tells them, uh, he, he makes a couple statements to him. In verse 13, they marveled and they realized that he had been with Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, people see Jesus in you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is revealed through your life. So they threaten him, and they let him go. Peter and John go back to their companions, and they begin to pray. And in verse 31, something incredible happens. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait. They were all filled. Peter and John, all their companions, everybody was there, was filled again. Now, in, in that earlier verse, verse 8, I showed you, Peter was already filled. But when he comes back in verse 31, it says they were all filled. The place where they were standing and praying shook. What, what happened? They were all filled again. Apparently, in the process of doing the will of God, they needed to be refilled. They needed another dose. They needed another shot. They needed some more. Verse 27. L listen what, he's, what they're praying here. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before you to be done. When they were out doing what was supposed to be done. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders uh, may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So here's what they're saying, man. We were, you know, Lord, give us boldness so that we could do what we're supposed to do. Well, the thing is, they were already doing these things. Remember, they were arrested for preaching and healing the sick. And yet they come back and in verse 31, they're filled again. What happened? What happened? Here's the deal. It is a battle. And when you're out there 
filled with the Holy Spirit, doing the work of God, living your life, being an overcomer, uh, going beyond what the normal person can do because you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The devil isn't going to just sit idly by and let you do it. He's going to fight back. The solution is simply this. When he fights back, you get filled again. Paul said, be filled and filled and filled and filled. Oh, the world's coming against you? No problem. Be filled. What's his solution? Be filled. You're struggling with your marriage? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're struggling with your finances? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're struggling in your job? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're struggling to connect with God? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the solution. Be filled and be filled and be filled and be filled. Because when you're filled, you get all those things about the Holy Spirit. We've only talked about a few. The comforter, the guide, the helper, the spirit of truth, uh, the gift of words of wisdom, the gift of words of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of working of miracles. All these things, you get them all. Just be filled. Be filled. Whatever it is. Oh, okay. Be filled again. I want to pray for you today. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. Pray for those of you at home. Our pastors and elders are going to come. We're just going to worship. If you want to be filled again, say, Pastor Randon, I've been filled for a long time, but man, I'm feeling a little low. No worries. Be filled again. Say, Pastor Randon, I've never been filled. Today is your day. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Relinquish control to Him, and He'll give back to you more than you could have ever dreamed. Today, I encourage you to be filled. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to bless you. Our pastor and elders are going to come. At the, as soon as I bless you, we'll be dismissed. But if you want to be filled today, you want to be refilled today, you're like Peter and John. You've been out there working hard, doing your best. You need to be refilled. Today is your day. We want to pray with you. We're just going to join hands with you and believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to fill you once again. Father, in your sovereignty, you knew and you worked this thing out where Jesus had to leave because it was to our advantage. Lord, on this side, I thank you for that. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sins, for all the sins in the whole world. Father, I thank you that you sent the comforter, the helper, the guide, the spirit of truth. You sent the the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm asking you today to fill us once again. Fill us once again. Allow us to relinquish control to you. That you might bless us. That we might reap abundantly in our life because we've given it over to you. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Move in this house today. Amen.